thank you, Pat, and thank you, Brett. Courtney, thank you. Serenity, thank you. And, of course, thank you, Tim. We could not have done it without him being back there working all those things. So thank you, each and every one of you. Well, good morning to you. And the verse that's been selected, and we need more verses. We're just about out of verses to select. And we got a a rush when we first made the announcement, and people were sending their verses that we could use at the beginning. And uh, your favorite verse, we're needing more. So if you have not submitted a verse that we pull from and use, uh, let me encourage you to do that. We need your favorite verse. And we'll use that to begin the sermon and uh, let people know that this is your favorite verse. This morning, uh, the favorite verse was uh, sent to us by Valerie Winalda. And you're going, who? Some of you know Valerie. Uh, Valerie is with Things to Come Mission. Valerie is uh, there at the headquarters of Things to Come uh, in in, uh, Indianapolis. And she listens to us every week. Uh, she and her husband and her mom, and they worship with us every Sunday. And so we just praise God for them and their faithfulness. And uh, usually they watch us after this. We are their Sunday night service, just in case you're wondering. We are their Sunday night service. And uh, Valerie every week sends me a great summary of the message. And I appreciate that so much when she does that uh, but to be praying for Valerie. But anyway, this is Valerie's favorite verse. And wow, what a verse it is. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, my, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. What a verse. What a verse. That verse needs to be preached on here before long. And when we get to the book of Philippians, we will not ignore that verse because it tells us so many things that we as members of the body of Christ need to be applying to our, our lives. Well, this morning as we continue our study of Christ of the book, we are going to be looking at the book of Hebrews In the book of Hebrews, Christ is the author of eternal salvation. That's who Christ is in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a deeply intense, deeply intense book. As a matter of fact, it is difficult, and I'm going to say impossible to cover in just one Sunday. Therefore, We're going to take multiple Sundays to cover the book of Hebrews because there's so much that we need to understand and learn about this deeply intense book. Every word, every verse, every chapter warrants study. 
scrutiny and attention. As a matter of fact, more than likely in sometime this year, probably on a Wednesday night, we are going to do a verse-by-verse study of the book of Hebrews because it absolutely is a phenomenal, phenomenal book that warrants our study verse-by-verse because each one is so, so important. As a matter of fact, I believe that the book of Hebrews is an, is an emphasis of, uh, or an explanation to the kingdom saints as the book of Romans is to the church, the body of Christ. Uh, bo- the book of Hebrews does a lot of explaining to those kingdom saints during this transition, transition period as the book of Romans explains things to the church, the body, the body of Christ. We're going to be taking a look at that. The book of Hebrews, we are not sure who the author is. So I'm not going to waste a lot of time trying to go over the book of Hebrews and determine who the author is. The Holy Spirit does not tell us. The Word of God does not tell us who the author is. What the book of Hebrews does tell us is who the author of salvation is. And that's what's important. The book of Hebrews does not tell us, can't open it up and see who the author is, but boy, from its pages, we know who the author of salvation is. It is an incredible book that declares the superiority of Christ's person. He's God. It declares the superiority of of His work. It's complete. It declares the superiority of His sacrifice. It's all sufficient. What a book this is. It's It's an explanation of how the Lord Jesus Christ sets all things right. It's in the book of of Hebrews we find that not only is he the author of eternal salvation, he is the author and finisher of our faith. What an amazing God we serve. And it's the book of Hebrews that makes sure that declares that those Jewish believers during this transition period absolutely understood what was occurring. The subject matter of the book of Hebrews is that the Messiah that was promised, that was prophesied in the Old Testament was coming, would suffer. And the man that it was describing and talking about is Jesus of Nazareth. It's what the book of Hebrews does. It makes sure that we do not misunderstand who Jesus of Nazareth was. He is Israel's Messiah. He is the one who was to suffer and die. As a matter of fact, it's the book of Hebrews that as we study it, it shows to us in detail that the reason for Christ, or it's an explanation of the reason of Christ's rejection was because the nation of Israel, the Jews, primarily the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the members of the Sanhedrin, they rejected when he came and preached and declared that he was God. 
It was the deity of Christ that they rejected. The book of Hebrews goes into great detail that there's not a contradiction there. That Jesus Christ is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. Look, look with me real quick to Matthew 26. I told Brother Tim back there that there might be some verses that I throw in. He basically said, ah, I'm ready. He always is. Matthew 26. Look at verse 63. Matthew 26, verse 63. But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that you tell us whether thou be Christ, the Son of God. We beg you, we plead with you, we ask you, tell us, are you the Son of God? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest, he ripped off his clothes, he rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need we have of witnesses? Behold, now you have heard his blasphemy. The book of Hebrews makes sure we understand this is not blasphemy. That Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is. Of course, it's during the Gospels when he walks on water, when he causes the leper, uh, the blind to see and the lame to walk and the leper to be healed. That proves he was God incarnate. But the book of Hebrews explains that station that Christ Jesus has and that he is absolutely the Messiah. That he absolutely is God. When he said, I and the Father are one. Matter of fact, that is the doctrine of Christ. When you go into the Gospels, and you at last week we talked about Peter being um, uh, the, the doctrine of Christ. That, that is the doctrine of Christ. That he is God. And as we go through the Gospels, we find every time they rose up and wanted to kill him, wanted to destroy him, it was because he was declaring himself to be God. Well, the book of Hebrews goes into great detail that basically says he is. He is. And this is for those Jews during that almost uh, 40-year period during that transition. It's important that we understand how important that transition period is. Folks, I do not hesitate. I do not pause to make sure we understand because you cannot understand God's Word if you don't understand there were two important programs going on at the same time. That there were two Gospels being preached during that period of time. There was the gospel of the kingdom that the nation of Israel had been promised, that the believing Jews were looking forward to, that Peter and the apostles preached and proclaimed, that they never stopped preaching and proclaiming. Matter of fact, look at, just to back that up so you see, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but look at Acts 26, I'm 21, I'm sorry, Acts 21.
Acts 21, look at verse 20. Acts 21, verse 20. This is James. Paul has gone to Jerusalem to carry money that the poor saints there are desperately needing. And the reason they're desperately needing that money is because the kingdom program is coming to an end. Or what was offered is not being offered anymore. Remember, Christ had already told them, take no thought of what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what, where you're going to live. Your father has need. Your father knows you have need of all of these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all of these things will be added unto you. And that's what they had been doing. God's word tells us that, well, the Lord Jesus tells us and told them in Luke 12, sell everything you have, give it to the poor in preparation for the tribulation that was about to start. What is the, one of the first things they did in Acts chapter 4? They sold everything they had. I think it was an indication of faith. It was an indication of, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're ready for you to come. But now we get here, and the different churches are having to take up collections to send to these poor saints because... Something's come or coming to a screeching halt. Either that or God doesn't keep his word. Well, we know God keeps his word. So here, here we have Paul going down with this money to, to these poor saints. Acts 21, verse 20. And Paul had told them all the things that God's doing among the Gentiles. He'd already written Galatians. He'd already written Romans already written uh, to the church in Thessalonica. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. They're all zealous of the law. Wait a minute. Paul had already talked about we're, we're not under the law. We're under grace. And James says, hey, there are things that these believers here, these Jewish believers, are hearing about you, and you need to make sure they know that these things aren't so. Well, they were so. Go to Galatians. Go to Romans. Go to, to the church in Corinth. He was in Corinth in, in, in uh, Acts chapter 18, saying these things. So what's going on here? That transition. There was a difference in what was being proclaimed. And the book of Hebrews is an explanation to these believing Jews as to what's taking place there. The book represents Christ as 100% divine and 100% human. The book of Hebrews describes him as the prophet, describes him as the priest, it describes him as the king. And there was only one other man that ever could claim those three titles. Prophet, priest, and king. You know who that guy was? David. David. David was the only one. And whose throne is the Lord Jesus going to sit upon? David. So it's important that we understand that they understood during this time. 
that this Jesus of Nazareth is the true Messiah. He is the one that's going to sit upon the throne of David. He's the prophet. He's the priest. And oh, what a priest he is. It's one of the reasons we can't get through all this in one, in one setting. Maybe not even two. Because we want to get to the priest after the order of Melchizedek. Who in the world is Melchizedek? Besides being somebody whose name is fun to say. Who is he? It's important that we understand. Because see, somebody, a Jewish guy could have come up and went, no, 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 no. You don't understand. This Jesus of Nazareth that you're telling us is the Messiah, well, he's from the tribe of Judah, which is the kingly, which is the kingly tribe. Yeah, he he could be king from the tribe of Judah, but he can't be priest because he's not from the tribe of Levi. The book of Hebrews tells us, hey, Christ's priesthood is more superior than that of Aaron. And it goes into the order of Melchizedek and how important that is. As a matter of fact, it is to the priest, or to the priest that Melchizedek that Abraham brought his tithes and offering to. See, the book of Hebrews does all of that. It tells us all of that. So when you go through the book of Hebrews, and again, I told you it was intense. When you go through the book of Hebrews, it is a glorious, informative explanation of what God is doing. Imagine you are a Jewish believer. Imagine that you have been waiting for the tribulation, thinking that it was already underway because Peter said it was going to be. You had believed that the kingdom, that Jesus was the Messiah as a Jewish individual. You believed that Jesus was the Messiah. You believed that he was coming again to establish his throne. You believed all the Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. You were excited about that. Then all of a sudden, the tribulation, it's, it's not going on. It's, there, who, who is this Saul of Tarsus? What is happening here? The book of Hebrews explains it. The book of Hebrews explains it. And again, it represents Christ as divine, 100% divine, 100% human. Our Lord's deity and His humanity are laid out with equal importance, just as the Messiah was prophesied to be, fully human, fully divine. Hebrews makes the case that Christ was always to be God in the flesh. And you say, well, what's so hard about believing that? Well, evidently, it was extremely hard because that's what caused Israel to reject him to begin with. And you've got to understand this. Israel went into captivity for 70 years, about 450 years before this was happening. Why did they go into captivity? Because they were worshiping every god that somebody presented to them. They were going after strange gods left. They were going after strange gods right. They, any, you, if it had sexual content, if it was a feel-good, if it was a, something that, uh, uh, that appealed to the flesh, they were ready for it. They were open to it. 
they weren't going to make that same mistake again. So they made another mistake by rejecting God's prophets, rejecting His Word, and misunderstanding exactly what Christ Jesus was saying. They were going to err on the other end of the spectrum this time and reject Him altogether. That's exactly what was happening. The book of Hebrews tells us how He is the high priest, what a high priest He is. The book of Hebrews explains that supreme sacrifice that's all-sufficient. The book of Hebrews does all that. He is God in the flesh, which is a real stumbling block, or was a real stumbling block. Well, it is, still is a real stumbling block to Israel. I'll say it was. Uh, God's not offering the kingdom to Israel today. They're not stumbling over the truth today because they're not being offered the truth concerning Israel and the kingdom today. What they're being offered is that Christ Jesus is Savior. He's Lord. Believe that He died for your sins. So uh, God's not working through Israel. He's saving Jews just like He's saving Gentiles based on the gospel of the grace of God. But God's not working through Israel today. He's going to. Those promises are going to be realized. You can absolutely take that to the bank. It's going to happen. But here in this, in this book, he's presented as the heir of all things. He's a, he is presented as, as the apostle, the high priest, the mediator, and the author and finisher of faith. And again, this is during the Acts transition for those who are believing that He is the Messiah, that He is the Savior. Again, they were still expecting the soon return of Christ, that He was going to establish His throne. That's what they were hoping for. They were hoping that, that all of those promises that had been made to the nation of Israel by the prophets and all the hope and the, the excitement of here is the Messiah, they were believing it, that that's going to occur. They were expecting it. The, all of this was carrying the faith of the fathers to the next level. They're not counseling, uh, canceling the kingdom program, but revealing its intent. And this is all introduction. And now you can tell why it's going to take us two or three Sundays to get through this. Because we've not even hit Hebrews 1.1 yet. But see, it was during this transition period. And this is, this is important. That in the book of Romans, it tells us, Paul is addressing what's going on with the nation of Israel in, in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. That's what the purpose of those is. And during that period of time, Paul says that what God is using the Gentiles for is to provoke Israel to jealousy. That's what this transition period, all of these things that are happening, these Gentiles getting saved, these Gentiles exercising and doing the exact same thing that the, that the nation of Israel is to do in order to show that, that the Messiah has come. Why? The, the early church, they were speaking in tongues, they were healing, they were doing all of those things. And Israel was going, wait a minute. That, 
that you, that, uh, what? Stop that. That's for us. It was to provoke them, according to the Word of God, provoke them to jealousy so they would say, wait, 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 no. We believe, we believe. It's at the end of Acts when Paul says, Lo, I turn to the Gentiles and they will believe. And right after that, what happens? An important event takes place. 70 AD, the temple is destroyed and God's closing the book on the nation of Israel until the new temple is going to be built, which is going to be a sign of the beginning of the tribulation. But anyway, that's a whole other sermon. So, But it's during this time that God is using the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. It's during this time, and this is also important, that you understand what the book of Hebrews is all about. It's during this time that Paul is going to the Jews first. And he's going to the synagogues, to the Jewish synagogues. When he goes to the Jews first, and he goes to the synagogues, what is he, when you examine, when you go to the book of Acts, when you look what, what Paul is preaching during that time, when he goes to them, what is he preaching to them? Your Messiah has come. That Jesus Christ, that the Lord Jesus is your Messiah. He is the Christ. He does that in Antioch. He does that in Corinth. He does that in Rome. And each time in Antioch, just outside of Jerusalem, he goes and he tells them, to the Jews, he goes to the synagogue, he explains to them, your Messiah came. See, Paul had a unique ministry. Acts chapter 9, the Lord tells Ananias that he is a chosen vessel, he has a unique ministry. I know some people get hung up here, but they shouldn't. God can do anything he wants to. He can say, let there be light, and there's going to be light. But in, in Acts chapter 9, the Lord tells Ananias he is a chosen vessel. He is to go to Gentiles. Ch check that off. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. He's going to be given a special revelation. He is to go to kings. Well, he did that fearlessly. And he's also to go to Israel. He had a unique ministry. What was his ministry to Israel? It tells us was to declare to them, your Messiah came. He never offered the kingdom. That's Peter's job. He's the one that had the keys to the kingdom. He did it. Israel rejected. And in Acts chapter 7, we see Christ standing. Christ had sat at the right hand of the Father, indicating rest. Then he, in Acts, at the stoning of Stephen, we see the Lord standing. Every place in Scripture, when the Lord is standing, it's always in judgment. Israel was being judged. And the transition period started. But these during Hebrews, and written, Hebrews is written to, who's it written to? Hebrews. Who are the Hebrews? They're Jews. Okay. They're believing Jews, believing Jews who wanted an explanation what in the world has happened? See, God made promises to Israel. Is God going to say, oh, I didn't mean that. No, that's not what I meant. Mm -mm. God's promises 
are without repentance. It means God's not going to change his promises. What God told Israel he was going to do, he's going to do it. It's also, the book of Hebrews is written about 54 A.D. The book of Hebrews is written, and I think this is interesting. You say, well, yeah, you would, preacher, but the rest of us, not so sure. Hebrews is written about the same time that the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica telling them the tribulation hasn't started. The day of the Lord hasn't begun. The church in Thessalonica, they were getting letters that the day of the Lord is here. The tribulation has started. Well, I'm sure there were a bunch of people that were actually hoping that the tribulation, because then they have a countdown. One year, two year, three year, four year, five year, six year, seven year. It's We're going to endure to the end in the millennial kingdom and all the promises that God had made. But it's during this time that Paul's writing to this church in Thessalonica. The day of the Lord hasn't come. The day of the Lord has not come. Hebrews chapter 1. You didn't think we were going to get there. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, covers three glorious doctrines. Each one of these doctrines, you could spend a whole sermon series preaching on. Just the first chapter of Hebrews talks about three important doctrines. It talks about inspiration. It talks about incarnation. It talks about the deity of Christ. Those are three important doctrines. Inspiration. Where did the words of God come from? Where did the Bible come from? The book of Hebrews tells us how it came about. The book of Hebrews talks about the incarnation, God in the flesh. Is that an important doctrine? Yep. And it's just in the first chapter. And it just builds from there. The first chapter talks about the deity. That he is God in flesh. He's God. The incarnation, he's God in the flesh. But it also makes sure you understand he is God. As a matter of fact, he is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the redeemer. That's who Christ Jesus is. Therefore, worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, for he is exactly who he says he is. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. So again, this is talking about fathers, you know, the, the prophets in the Old Testament, the Jewish fathers. They spoke to us in various ways, different times, through the prophets. God spoke. This, what we have here is a Bible. Make sure you understand that this is not just some guy sitting down and writing out what he thinks. That the scripture from Genesis to Revelation is God-breathed. 
It is the breath of God that directed, that led, that spoke to the prophets these wonderful words of life. Matter of fact, when a prophet spoke, it was the Word speaking. Who is the Word? The Lord Jesus. So I think it's interesting, and I've said this many times, we have the written Word. Don't ignore it. We have the living Word. Oh, you better not ignore Him. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. The word inspiration there literally means God breathed. It's from Him. He inspired it. And it's profitable. It's profitable for doctrine. You can learn something. For reproof, that has to do with uh, when you're going astray. It's the Word of God that will straighten you out. Amen? For correction, that's knowing where to go to the right or go wrong. God's Word is there. It is profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction. It's profitable for instruction in righteousness. You want to know how to live your life? Study these words that are inspired by God. They are God-breathed. How did he do that? Look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. Verse 30, I think, Tim. Yeah. Verse 30. Yet many years did thou forbear them, talking about the children of Israel, and testified against them by thy spirit in thy prophets. So when the prophets were speaking, who was speaking? See, God's word tells us how that was done. Yet would they not give ear, therefore gavest thou them into the hand of the people of the lands. God spoke to the people through the prophets, Yet they would not give ear, but God was wanting them to know. He didn't leave them guessing. He didn't leave them wondering. Here's God's Word. You want to know what God's Word said to them? We got it right here. And it opens up to them. Look at Numbers 11. Now these are just a few examples. There are so many examples of thus saith the Lord. It is written. I mean, we... we, We could spend a long time. Numbers 11, verse 16. And the Lord said, does it get any simpler than that? And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them into the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee, and I will come down and talk with thee there. See, the Bible tells us exactly. Look at Numbers 12, 6, since we're already there. Look at 12, 6. Numbers 12, 6. And he said, Hear now my words, 
If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. God wasn't going to leave them wondering. God's word tells us exactly how all that was to come about. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Verse 2, real quick, hath in these last days, last days, that's critical, they believe themselves to be in the last days. He has spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, wanting to make sure they know who Jesus Christ is. That God the Father has made him heir. What is an heir? It's somebody that receives everything from their father. An heir is somebody that the father turns everything over to. The book of Hebrews making sure these Jewish readers, these Jewish believers understand who he is. He has been made heir of all things. By whom he also made the worlds. Not only is he heir of all things, he is creator. Well, I was hoping to get to chapter 4. Well, we made it to verse 2. But we didn't even get all of verse 2 and what it brings to the table. Next week, well, not next week. Tim's going to be here. The following week, the following week, we're going to pick back up at verse 3. He is the bright. People want to make sure you know that Christ Jesus is the brightness of the glory of God the Father. He is the expressed image of his person. He upholds all things by the power of his word. And he's also purged your sins. That's a pretty good introduction to what the book of Hebrews is all about. Make no ex- make do not be mistaken. Jesus of Nazareth is God the Son. God the Son is God incarnate. And He loves you. And He has a plan. He has a purpose for your life. And He's coming again. And folks, I cannot encourage you enough to be ready. To be prepared. And the only way you can be prepared is to know Him as Savior. And that's by believing that he died for you, take it personally. That he died on the cross for your sins. That he became sin for you. Not the person sitting next to you. Not your mama, not your daddy. Not your brother. Not your sister. But he died for you. You don't get into heaven because of your granddaddy. You don't get into heaven because of your aunt. You don't get into heaven even... Hey, my daughters are not going to heaven because their daddy's a preacher. It's not going to happen. My daughters are not going to heaven because one's a preacher. The other's not, but he's a believer. and They're in church right now. I guarantee you, they're not going to heaven because they're in church. 
They're going to heaven because both of them, by faith, trusted Christ. And besides, it'd be a whole lot closer to heaven because of who their mama is than because of who their daddy is. I got news for you. But, but they're not even getting into heaven because of who their mama is. They're getting to heaven because by faith they realize they're sinners. They realize we're lost. We need a Savior. So they trusted. And the only one who can save them. Matter of fact, when we get into this, I know, we got to go. When we get into this, there are two, two verses I want you to look at between now and next week. Well, next week. Well, you got that next or extra week because Tim's going to be here. I keep forgetting that. Maybe I ought to call him and just, no, I won't do that. I call them the 412 verses. 412. Acts 4.12, Hebrews 4.12. Such important scriptures that you need to know. I'm not going to tell you what they are. We'll get to, we'll get to when we get to Acts 4.12, we're going to talk about it. But it's the 4.12 verses. It has to do with the Word of God, and it has to do with who can save you. Let's pray. Father... We come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for how wonderful it is, how exciting it is. Father, I thank you that it's, it's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, it distinguishes between the natural and the supernatural. And we're thankful, Father. That there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And Father, may we understand clearly as we go through this study that you indeed are the author of our salvation. That you indeed are the author and finisher of our faith. As we praise your name for your faithfulness. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as Savior, Father, they will be afraid to take a step outside of this building. Father, they will be afraid to take another breath until they settle that all-important issue where will they spend eternity, in heaven or in hell. And they can know today by trusting in you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. And again, we pray for Marcia. We pray for Dorothy. We pray for Shirley. We pray for Carrie. We thank you for Ken. We pray for Marge. Father, so many, part of our congregation, so many others, Father, we lift them all up before you. And we pray these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus, who's Lord of all. Amen.